The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. where um, Al Harris, or whatchamacallit, Hasselbeck says, we're, we're going to want the ball and we're going to win. And Al Harris intercepts yeah. and does, I sang that one. So that was one of the playoff games I sang it at. But yeah, bunch of cool ones. Yeah. Bunch of cool ones. Are you, are, you a, are you a Packers fan or a Bears fan? You know, I young kid, 85, Bears fan. My mom and dad have a trailer home in Wisconsin. So I started watching the Packers when I was like in high school. Like the Packers, huge Packer fan. The problem is gotcha. you can't become friends with these players or coaches because when they leave and if it, it, it you know, you're kind of like you, a little bit leaves with you. So my, uh, you know, I became good friends with coach McCarthy and now he's coaching the Cowboys. So I might be able to sing down there and, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm rooting okay. for him too. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause uh, you know, I've been following the NFL draft and the whole Aaron Rodgers thing. And I, it's just I crazy what's going on there. Crazy. That's crazy. I'm actually uh, friends with Brett, and I had Brett on my show, and um, Brett Favre, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, with the, you had what happened with him, and then he went to go play with the Jets, and then he went to go play with the Vikings. To see it again, two Hall of Famers end up leaving. Isn't it crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, they were blessed with two uh, three-time MVPs and. Did it happen? Everybody said it pretty much as a done deal with Denver, with what I heard on Twitter today and stuff, is it? Yeah, that's what Mark Schlereth was saying. He was that's like, it's right, pretty much right, a done right. deal. Yeah. And then Rodgers, and then I'm hearing that he could just retire. And I'm just like, is he going to go host Jeopardy oh, now? Really? Like, that's what's what I up? thought, too. It's crazy. That would be nice. I don't know. I don't. If you And like, the thing is. The thing is, like, Adam Schefter is reputable. I trust his stuff. But at the same time, it's like, this is so big that is Rogers really going to just step away? He could, but it's right. just crazy. It's crazy. Right. So I don't know. Do you think um, there's any chance he stays with green Bay? I do. I do. Really? For sure. Even though, even though it sounds so, you know, it sounds like he's ready. He's told teammates he's not coming back or he'd retire. Or, I don't know. He's been there for so long. It's, it's, it, it, like the the Russell Wilson stuff we were hearing earlier in the off season, I don't think he's going anywhere yeah, yet. Right. I would say Deshaun Watson, but Watson's got his own off the field stuff right now going on. So, you know, it's it's but who knows? They might trade Rodgers. I don't know, or do you retire? You're right, because I mean, we thought here in Chicago that Russell Wilson was coming here. Russell Wilson was coming here. I mean, everybody was so all yeah. my buddies and everybody, and and I want the Bears to do all well, be good for the city of Chicago and everything. When I was younger, I was yeah. always cheering Packers. Yeah. I you know have that competition between right. me and my friends, Bears, Packers, and usually I was always on the victory side. It's that NFC Championship game, you know, in 2010. And but uh, yeah. for the yeah. city of Chicago, yeah. of course, I would love to see the Bears be successful, especially with everything that's happened. You want to get people happy anywhere, so something that can take people's minds off. Russell Wilson would have been a huge, huge deal. I think their draft choice, the, this guy is going to be really good. I, I I don't really follow the draft as much as I used to, but the quarterback from Ohio State is, yeah. uh, his yep. name again is... Justin Fields, yeah. Really good. Really, really, really good. So this can be a quarterback the Bears are, are you know, really lucky to have. <laughs> yeah, I used to live in Columbus, so I'm I'm... 
I was a, I was an Ohio State guy, and uh, I live in Virginia now, so I follow UVA a little bit. But you know, I still follow Ohio State, and I remember the game against Clemson when uh, Justin Fields just went off, and that I mean he was already on the map, but that just you know that was putting him into like top two draft pick territory and then for whatever reason he just dropped of course to 11 now but i don't know why the jets didn't go with wilson or uh didn't go with fields last night they went with zach wilson instead so yeah i think the bears finally <laughs> might have finally found their guy and chicago deserves that i mean the, the quarterback we still love who i'm again who had a, who i had on my show too was jim mcmahon and uh, mm-hmm. that was the quarterback we all fondly think of, right? Because that was the Super Bowl and the 85 Bears were probably, if not the greatest team of all time, the greatest defense and everything. So Jim is still the guy people think of. But now it'd, it'd be really nice for the Bears to have a court for Bears fans to have a quarterback that they could really root around for because it's been since Jim. I mean, it's been that long, right? We had Jay yeah, Cutler. Sure. Exactly. You know, Jay's a group great quarterback and everything but the city of chicago and jay just didn't work and then mitch came along great guy everything you know and then now he's not there and and the thing with the bears though you know to me how do you pass up on patrick mahomes i don't know how that i know right right? it's like or or even or even watson i mean watson also even even with even with yeah, I mean, even with Mahomes, people were like, I don't know if the offense will translate. That's fair. Yeah. There was a lot of question marks. But, of course, he's been crazy, re- ridiculously good. And he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory already. Oh, my God. And Watson, same deal. The thing with Watson, of course, we don't know what's going to happen with the whole off-the-field yeah. the allegations. Yeah. But, but I mean, I, but even at the time, they didn't even talk to him. They didn't have no. a pace, didn't have dinner with Watson. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, – I mean, you watch Mahomes. I was watching something the other day on uh i don't know what it was on one of the social media platforms and it's this play where he's looking you know this way and that or no he was looking this way and he throws the ball this way and it's like it wasn't mm-hmm. like a short five yard yeah. pass either it was like a 15 yard 20 yard pass. yeah like wow that's special for a couple reasons just being able to do that but number two having the confidence to do that at the NFL level mm-hmm. and yeah. to get it done. It was a completion. I really like Mahomes. I think he's going to be the face of the NFL. I think the NFL is very lucky yeah. to have him because he's so likable. And I think a lot of Bears fans that hurts their, them to not have him and, and you know, to pass up oh, those yeah. two guys. Oh, yeah. And I said, I, I met Mitch. Mitch is a really nice guy. He's with Buffalo now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yep. he may, he may. you know, he's, he, uh, you know, he's, he's I'm, I'm assuming, going to be the backup right now. Yeah. yeah. Not really a competition, right? Because the uh, the quarterback in Buffalo is, is a good quarterback. He's sad. Right? Josh yeah, Josh Allen. Allen. Josh Allen really stepped up. Yeah, he really stepped up yeah. the last year or two. So, so. that part's, you know good for him but that's the thing about becoming friends with all these guys and then you become yeah, friends with yeah. them and then they switch teams and you're like ah shit you know like, nah, i gotta i want to cheer for that that's <laughs> that's an interesting dynamic well you know it's funny because so i actually was a Favre guy growing up my my uncle's a packers fan so i was like i like Favre. i don't hate the bears i i know you can't like green bay and the and the and the uh the bears but like it's kind of like i like the packers i like the nfl i have nothing against the bears i'm fine yeah. with whatever. But you know, I, I was a Favre guy. I liked Rogers. So, um, you know, but, but that's an interesting dynamic that you are friends with the players or, you know, the players you said that you've had them on your show and things like that. So like, is that just from doing the anthem that you get to know these guys or around them all the time? 
Yeah, that and, and, and Dick Tiz was a big part of it. You got so many athletes would come through the 85 Bears and then the, you know, current Bear players. So I met Cody White here, who plays, you know, uh, O line with the Bears when I was singing at, at, at Dick Tiz. And wow, what a nice guy. I mean, just hit it off with him and really nice guy, likable. Uh, I mean, from baseball, you know, Ryan Dempster, you know, with the he's, he's with the Cubs doing his own stuff now, but he left for a while, went to, to Boston. And I had a chance to sing Sunday Night Baseball. He got me to sing uh, Boston Red Sox versus Yankees at Fenway, but I was sick. My, I lost my voice and I couldn't go. Uh-huh. It, was, I, it was like one of the things I missed out on. And I mean, luckily, years later, I get to sing for the Cubs in the World Series, which is never going to be topped. Right. But. Um, you know, Demp went to Boston and he won there and you're rooting for him there. You know, I'm not, I, I was never a Red Sox fan. I always liked the Cubs. The Cubs were my team, always my team, like, my, you know, team. And and then I liked the Yankees. So I never was really a big Red Sox guy. Oh, okay. That's right. really interesting. I, I like, that's me too. So not to cut you off, but when I was in Columbus, we had the Clippers. My uncle, who's a Packers fan, liked the Yankees because here in Virginia, Richmond had a team affiliated with the Yankees when I was in Columbus. Same thing with the Clippers. So, yeah, I've been to a lot of Yankee games on the road. I followed both teams growing up. So that's always a weird thing with me, too. I'm like, yeah, Cubs. And I still I keep an eye on the Yanks as well. And so even that, kind of like, I, that. I met Girardi. And 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 I met yeah. Girardi when he was playing catcher for the Cubs. But then I, I knew him from that. And they went to manage the Yankees. He wins the World Series with the Yankees. Yeah. Joe Madden, you know, Joe yeah. Madden. I'm, re- I'm really close. Yeah. We call each other Fratello, which is brother in Italian. And now he's doing well with the angels. So you meet these people, you know, that, and, and you, you, you bond, you become friends and, and you have these friendships and some are really strong friendships. And you're like, yeah, you want them to succeed. We you know when you're younger, you're rooting for a team. Yes. You love a player. Like the one player that is always going to be my favorite player of all time and everything. And uh, I mean, I love, love, I had the chance to sit with Scotty Pippen, uh, I think it was game six of the NLCS where I sang the anthem and, and he did the seventh inning stretch. So we sat during the game, enjoyed each other's company, love Scotty Pippen. He's a great guy. But the, if you're from Chicago, um, it pretty much happens. And I'm going to say a little younger, my age and uh, up, your guy's always Michael Jordan. And when Michael Jordan went to the Wizards, oh, yeah. I sure. had the honor to sing the anthem there in D.C., and he dropped, I think, like 40-some points that night. <laughs> and it was amazing and weird to see him standing in front of me in a Wizards uniform. Because it's Michael Jordan, right? It's like Joe Montana with the Chiefs. And I loved Montana with the Chiefs. Uh, one of the reasons was I loved, always loved the Chiefs. And the center for the Chiefs, uh, who was actually snapping to uh, Montana at that time, taught me how to pass block, Tim Grunhardt. He went to St. Lawrence High School, and then mm. he went to Notre Dame. When he came to see us in summer camp, he taught me how to pass block. And uh, what a sweet guy, man. And then he got to snap for Montana, you know, at the end of his career uh, there. And uh, that was a really cool thing. So it's just you see when people would change, you see uniforms on people, Favre obviously being with the Vikings. But the one thing with Brett being with the Vikings, that was like the one of the best years, if not the best years he ever had. Yeah. Uh, that first yes, year. Years, yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. Like, you know, that one, uh, they were one play away from going to the Super Bowl against the Saints. And uh, mm-hmm. he had an mm-hmm. unbelievable year that year. So I was cheering for Brett that year. I, I sang too. in Minnesota that I sang it that year for him. I sang at the first game against the 49ers 
when they beat the Niners uh, at, at the last second. Remember that game? I don't know if you remember the Metrodome. I sang I that anthem. His mom got yeah, me to sing yeah. that anthem. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool to hear because, like, I never really think about. I, I, I guess I assumed I figured. You know, you have a, a like an anthem singer, for instance, who's known at certain events, certain games. But that's cool to hear the stories, like the behind the scenes aspect of that, because that's kind of that's like an inside cool yeah, look I've into that. Yeah, I've done a bunch of shows for for Coach McCarthy at charity events for children's hospitals, uh, uh, his brother's memorial charity events in Pittsburgh and in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, Charles Woodson. Charles, love Charles Woodson, sang for his wine opening nice. in Napa Valley uh, when he had that and sang for his golf outings when he was with the Packers and everything. So Charles was a great guy to hang out with. And um, just thinking about these players that I've sang for, ex-Bears players, um, like, you know, Jim Covert, sang a bunch of events for him. He now is in the Hall of Fame. And it was people that would just come through Ditka's that you would meet, you know, all of a sudden you see Jerry Rice <laughs> and then you see, um, you know, uh, I think it was uh, Eric Dickerson and um, uh, my God, I just, some of the names that went through there, having dinner with Gail Sayers, um, uh, Dick Butkus, um, you know, and coach Ditka and, and Steve McMichael. And I know you, you know, the news about Steve. Yeah. Now. Just, I, mean, I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Steve knew I was a Packer fan. So he gave me his 75th anniversary. Remember when the NFL had those 75th anniversary jerseys out and they played in them? The Packers were gold up top, yellow up top with blue numbers and white. And Steve gave me his Mm. game-worn jersey and he signed it and gave it to me. So And it has a patch, NFL 75th anniversary, everything. So... That was like That's unbelievable, awesome. like touched my heart. I have a Packer helmet that says, um, go pack. Mike Ditka, go pack. And on the other side of the helmet, Brett Favre. Oh, wow. I have an actual size helmet That's awesome. in the house back here. And it says, go pack Mike Ditka on one side and Brett Favre on the other. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's funny that my- yeah, it's funny that Ditka, Ditka put go pack. That's interesting. Well, because he knew I was a Packers fan. So I've worked, right, I worked right. for him for 20 years. And he's like, yeah, John, I'll sign for that's you. Fun. That, that's for me that's funny. That, you know? That's awesome, though. That's awesome. Uh, so I was curious. So take me through. Well, I guess first, my first question was, of all these things you've done, all the events that you've, you've sang for or all the moments, what's your favorite or your number one highlight? And you kind of touched on it, I think, a little bit yeah, yesterday. Number one, number we one talking. was... You know, the World Series was huge. I was sick at the time. Lady Gaga tweeted, wow, John Vincent, that's how you do the ant. Yes. That was really cool. But I was sick at the time, and my voice really yeah. sounded bad. She was so sweet and so kind to do that. I think she was just being nice. And I love Lady Gaga. She's been an influ- uh, a big influence on me because she was bullied. And when I found out she was bullied and all mm. that stuff, that's when I started to talk to schools about bullying. Because I saw what Lady Gaga did yeah. and all that. And I'm like, you know, I've got a platform nowhere near her size, but I have a platform. Let me use it for good and, and, and you know, go talk about bullying. So that's how that started until COVID hit, right? It's going to start up again. I'm going back to my old grammar school for their graduation in June this year. So that stuff will start picking up again. Nice. But um, that World Series game was big. But for some reason, that game six against the Dodgers where we go and then gets us into the world series and Mr. Ricketts 
sees me standing by the thing and I go, can I come down there? And he let me celebrate with the team on the field. So I'm on the field with the Cubs, with Eddie Vedder, yeah, yeah. with John Cusack, with all these guys, with the, the the news and everything. And I'm like, wow. And that's where, to me, like you look at something like that and you say, wow, you know, thank you for, first of all, giving me a ring, Mr. Ricketts, for doing that stuff for me, for, for giving me stuff like that, which is unbelievable. And coach giving me my, my chance to sing, you know, at a platform at Ditka where we were right off of Michigan Avenue on the Gold Coast. And that was a go-to place for celebrities. We had Julia Roberts walking through the door. We had uh, Will Ferrell. I had dinner with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley when they were filming Step Brothers, when they, you know, all these different great celebrities and everything. It, 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 growing up, watching this or being a kid you know and then being in my uh, even that time i called myself a kid in my early 30s and, and and stuff and seeing people walk through there i was like wow oh my god but the one person that always sticks out and my so to answer your question that game six cubs dodgers but the one individual that i never got to meet personally but i did sing for was michael jordan and that I think there's two people that stick out, you know, in Chicago for icons. And it's, um, you know, Michael Jordan and Mike Ditka. Always Michael Jordan, Mike Ditka were the top two that Chicago. And uh, the other one, Walter Payton. And I never got to meet Walter because I started Ditka's after he passed. But I'm good for, I'm friends with his son. Not good friends, but I'm friends with his son. And I love his son. And he does uh, bullying stuff. And I sing at his events. Jared, he's amazing. Uh, him uh, and his sister uh, are just great people. So I, I got to meet Walter's wife and the kids, which I'm very grateful for, but I never got to meet Peyton. And that was the other Chicago legend that growing up in the eighties, those were the names you remembered. Michael Jordan, you know, Mike Ditka, uh, you know, Walter Peyton, you know, and then Jim McMahon and, and, and everybody there, they were Jordan, and coach always, for some reason, had that grasp on Chicago. And it's because of Jordan being the greatest yeah. player ever. And just, in my opinion, I don't know what you think. You're younger. Oh, I agree. No, yeah, I, agree. I, agree. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I agree. love Dr. J, but yeah. how he came out with a list of uh, the five greatest or the 10 greatest basketball players of all time. I don't know if you heard about this. Yeah, I Let's think so, LeBron. And Le yeah. Yeah, LeBron's not on there, which doesn't make sense to me. But Jordan's on the second team. Oh, he didn't have Jordan? Oh, okay. Jordan I didn't catch. Team. Interesting. Like, Interesting. How do you get, I mean, Jordan's the greatest player of all time. I don't think there's yeah. anybody that can compare to Michael Jordan. They're, Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul, amazing, unbelievable. That video, I don't know if you've ever seen the side-to-side -side video of Jordan and Kobe. Where they're uh, both probably taking have. shots and it's like perfect. They're both doing the yes. same moves and everything. Yes. I yes. Mean, you know, amazing player. But and LeBron, I, I like LeBron. I think he's an amazing force. He's unbelievable. His size, the way he can handle everything. It reminds me a lot like Magic Johnson, who could play every mm. you know position on the court. And he did. Johnson played, I think, center one game for the Lakers, if I'm not mistaken. You know, he was uh how tall was Magic? Six, or is, is I mean, I mean, we all get older and we shrink a little bit, but what is he like six ten or something? Yeah, like that? right. So he was playing guard at six ten, <laughs> which is nuts. I mean, we all. I think I'm six five, and I, I don't know if I've shrank an inch already. I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, Magic's like six nine, six ten, right? 
Yeah, six nine. Yep. So six, nine. at that size to be able to do what he did, that's where I see like LeBron being his size and be how he handles the ball and how he just plays and how he can all parts of his game, you know, are just there. But Jordan, again, being in Chicago, being through the six championships, it was every game was the party. Every game was the party. Every game that if it was a Monday night and they were playing whoever, it still was Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And I think the most underrated player of all time in the NBA, even though he does get his accolades, is Scotty. Scottie Pippen is was an unbelievable player. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you talk about sure. the dream teams and all these super teams that everybody has now. Well, those three of Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman was pretty, pretty darn good. They were oh, yeah. like, wow. <laughs> and like this time last year was the last dance. And see, I so I, you know, I was born in 88. So I the the like the second half of that three beat yeah. for the Bulls is kind of when I started to kind of realize what was going on with sports and everything. So I was kind of young, but I was I was still cognizant of the Bulls and, and Jordan and all those guys. And so live, watching the Last Dance though was so great to get that that full picture from start to end of the entire dynasty, the Jordan, everything. And that was on this time last year. So that was awesome to yeah, watch that. I got a signed autograph from Michael Jordan. My father was a bodyguard at the Sears Tower. And um, he was a driver also. He was picking up somebody at Midway Airport. And I guess Michael Jordan came through the private, uh, well, where their private planes would fly out. And Michael Jordan saw my dad standing there. And I guess everybody was bothering Michael for an autograph. But he gives my dad one because my dad didn't bother him. And he's like, who's the guy in the back? And they go, that's Vince. So I got this beautiful, glossy shot of Jordan Duncan. And it says two Vince from Michael, uh, Michael Jordan, and uh, signs it. It's, it's like a treasure. And, and, and I'm like, Dad, what happened? He goes, I think he saw and appreciated that. I didn't go bother him. Everybody went to go surround him. And he kind of saw me. He's like, who's the guy sitting there? And he signed it. And, and my dad would always bring home some times. And it had it in there for me. And I was like, oh, my God. And that, like little stories like that, like just endear me to people. Like I, I'm like, oh, my God, that, that like that that's a beautiful thing. Like he, he's Michael yeah. Jordan. He's the greatest basketball player of all time, especially at that time he was playing. And obviously everybody everywhere always wanted to Michael, Michael, Michael. And for him to notice my dad, give him that signed autograph. And I have it. It's amazing. I, I was just going to say my dad, actually, when Vince Lombardi was coaching in Washington and Lombardi was in the hospital, like his neighbor or something got my dad an autograph picture from Lombardi. Wow. So kind of a similar, sort of similar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's somewhere. I think, I think I have it. I I've, I've had it in my apartment or at least at our old house. I know it's around here or something. I have to go see where I put it, but I know I've got it. It might be in my closet, but uh, now the, the picture was a little bit, you know, aged and everything, but we have it. That's the main thing. <laughs> sure. And that's actually, you know, the, the part of it being aged is, makes it that much more endearing, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at things like, what was it, the Babe Ruth jersey or the Babe, and I know the Babe Ruth baseball that sold for so much. I mean, you can tell that ball is worn and everything and it's yeah, yeah. used and all that. So that's that, true. There's, there's history to that. That makes that's it true. cool. I do have baseball cards that I still have and I found out like how they're getting more, uh, they're getting uh, valuable again. Like for a while, baseball cards kind of went down. 
and I'm going through some of them and I looked and I'm like, wow, that's nothing crazy, but yeah, you know, a couple hundred bucks, maybe a thousand bucks for a card here and there. And you're like, wow, I didn't even know that anymore that they were coming back again. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're a collector of cards, but I have a couple shoe boxes full and call and the real nice ones that I have are in, you know, in the, in the plastic and everything and all that. Um, so I got some of that stuff. Um, and I think that's the most important thing with sports. When you grow up, you play them because it's just fun. It's, it's a team. It's, 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 it's fun to obviously get physical activity, do that to be part of a team was always fun to do that stuff was always fun. But then there's that other part of when they get to be a professional and, and they really, when you see somebody like Anthony Rizzo, um, you know, uh, children, Lurie's children's hospital invited me to, to go there and speak and who's there. Anthony Rizzo, he's already there and he goes there. He goes there a lot. And, uh, you know, he's, he, he battled uh, cancer years ago when he was with the Red Sox, right? Not the Padres, Red Sox. And um, Anthony Rizzo is one of the nicest guys you'll meet. And just to see him, how he acts with the fans and especially kids, it's awesome. I took uh, a girl who had her mother, she had cancer. She was at Larry's Children's and her mother, a friend of, of a mutual friend reached out, told me about her. We brought her to a game. So I sang and there's a picture of me and her. Uh, it was Colleen, uh, me, her and her brother. And I'm singing the anthem. Uh, Rizzo, we walked through the dugout and it was Anthony Rizzo who gives her two baseball gloves, his batting gloves. Um, and KB, uh, Chris Bryant stopped for, for a picture. Joe talked to her, you know, the other players. And she's doing great now. She rang the cancer bell years ago, maybe three, four years ago. Cancer-free. She's doing wonderful. But that day, uh, the Cubs organization, the players, and, uh, you know, Anthony made it so special for her. And, you know, the Sox, I like that, too. The Chicago White Sox, Jerry Reinsdorf, they're charitable and they do special things and honor people. Uh, Bulls, obviously, same owner. Reinsdorf do the same thing. Uh, the Blackhawks, the same way. Um, and the Bears. So it's, it's nice to see teams that do things for people and, and that care. Because that's the biggest thing. I think that when kids see professional athletes and you see their faces light up. Because when I'm doing the anthem, I see when the guys are warming up, the kids always you know, want to get an autograph. That's so huge when you actually go over there and do that and i've seen so many cubs players do that yeah definitely have you done have you done a blackhawks game i did not my buddy jim uh cornelson does that who mm -hmm. okay. um i take his anthem up over mine any days i'm not you know I, I i hate hearing my own voice i'm like man i can't stand my voice but jim is is the anthem guy here in chicago also wayne mesmer amazing national anthem with the cubs for uh years and he did the hawks too um, and I'm just, you know, people, you know, mention me in their names and I'm honored with that. Um, I just, uh, I just always say I got lucky, man. I got lucky. I got the right place at the right time. And the first one I did was at Wrigley and I just was got, got lucky. And sometimes you have to acknowledge that because you know how many good yeah, voices are out there. There's so people yeah. don't understand how many good singers, good actors, good comedians, good uh, people with talent that are out there. Well, I guess maybe people do understand because we have America's Got Talent. We have, you know, The Voice. We have all these shows. But 
Right. I don't know if people as a we as a whole understand how many fantastic singers are out there that, that we don't even know about. Like sometimes, you know, people ask me, hey, can I come sing with you? I say, I'm like, ah, sure, you know. And and the majority of the time, no disrespect, the voice might be okay or that. Then you get somebody come up there and they're singing. I'm like, why are you not singing? And they're like, well, I've tried this, I've tried that. And, I, and I'm like, you like should be famous. Like I'm telling them, like you're unbelievable. And when I say that, I realize how lucky I got because I did get lucky because there's so many better singers out there than me. And, uh, you know, they have to work during the day and sing at night. I was lucky to be a singer now for 20 some years and hopefully get back to doing that with coronavirus that my career will get back to where it was. Who, who knows? Um, but there are so many great singers out there that don't do it full time just because I do think there's a lot of luck involved. I do. And I got, I got really lucky. I got really, really lucky. Nobody wanted to hear me sing on the, in the world series. It was the Ricketts family that said, no, we want Johnny to sing the national anthem, you know, and for them and Crane Kenny, the president of Cubs, they know Johnny's our guy. You know how much that meant to me? Like, I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. Everybody wanted, you know, celebrities up there, not some guy named John Vincent, but the Cubs are like, no, that's our guy. We want him to sing it. I got lucky. (laughs) Well, it was, well, (laughs) you know, I was going to say it it was awesome though, because you stuck out. Like I mentioned yesterday, like you came, like I, I realized who you were just from when you sang and you, you uh, could carry free, like that word, you could stretch that word. That was when I was like, wow, like that was like really impressive. Like, do you, when you sing, do you always, do you hold it the same amount of time each time or is it just kind of? Yeah, I always try to hold it as long as I can, unless I'm at an event and I'm like, okay, maybe then, you know, but I, and then I hold it. I usually, I should say, try to hold it as long as I can. And I think the longest they said was like 23 seconds, 24 seconds. Yeah. And there's been mixed reactions, but people, some people love it. Uh, some people, whatever, and other people hate it and they hate that I hold free long and they hate Mm. that I showboat and they hate that I, there's one reason why I hold free. And I, and I was getting to the point where I'm like, maybe I don't do this. Maybe I don't hold free that long because, you know, it, it doesn't come across as showboating. Am I trying to, I wasn't trying to do anything but one thing. I suffer from mental illness. I was bullied when I was a kid. I have some really dark times in my life that hurt me. Um, attempted suicide. I um, uh, suffered for many, many years. Went through three major episodes of depression. Uh, one where I literally lost like 50 pounds in, in a month and a half. And I didn't get out of bed. So it wasn't like I was exercising. I just went eat. And I love to eat, as you can see. <laughs> but... I just laid in bed and just didn't move and didn't want to live anymore. And the last depressive episode I had was when I attempted suicide. And, uh, you know, I, uh, when I came out to say that I did that, everybody who was close to me is like, Johnny, I, you know, are you sure you want to keep that video up on Facebook saying that you attempted suicide? You know, it's, it's cause people, you say that and people don't know how to handle it, but I had to do that because I said, people, are so afraid to talk about this. People are so afraid to talk about mental illness. There's so many suffering in silence. If I got to go out there and I could be vulnerable, fine. So I, I, I just said it. I was vulnerable. I did. I was like trying to record it. 
trying to record it. And then I'm like, no, I'm going to do this live. And I did it live. And the response was amazing. It was like 7,000 responses on comments and everything and all that. And so many people reached out to me on Messenger saying, John, I suffer from uh, depression. I've thought of suicide. And it was crazy off the floodgates that opened up. The reason I hold free going back to that now is because I want freedom for humanity. I want freedom of fear. I want freedom uh, of love to be flowing out, that it stops the fear that humanity has. Because, you know, I get really deep when I talk and I talk a lot. People are either like, okay, I'm joking or I'm getting really serious. But I see what we're doing now. And the human race is the only race or species that I can know of that can take a virus that is trying to live off of us or sometimes kill us. I had coronavirus. It was not fun at all. Uh, thank God I didn't have to go to the hospital, but for two weeks, I either had pneumonia or bronchitis and I, I was just cracking for two weeks. And then when I got over it a week after that, I, 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 you know, I could barely walk. I was like, this thing hit me. You know, the human race is the only race that can get something like the coronavirus that's trying to hurt us. We separate. We should be getting like this, fighting it together. And I know there's so many things out there today, and this world is so uncertain, but the world's always been uncertain. The only reason why we get, think it's more uncertain now is because of technology and how much we hear on a constant basis. And everybody complains about the news. Is it real? Is it true? Is this side telling the truth? Is that side? And I think it's so much information coming to people so fast, especially people my age and older who, um, you know, you being, you know, 32, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sure you're really good with computers and, and, and really smart with everything and all that. But I have a niece who's 17 and she talks about stuff that I'm like, wait, what is that? I was telling you the other, you know, when we were talking about Bitcoin, we were talking about uh, what my friends telling me about oh, yeah. Bitcoin and telling me about uh, Dogcoin or Dodgecoin or whatever it was. And then they're telling me about NFTs. And I'm like, what is all this stuff? And I realized we've never evolved so quickly as we have in the past 20 years. And I think it's almost passing some of us up, like myself, Yeah. Um, uh, people older than me too. Maybe some are getting it. Um, but I can tell you myself, I've never been a really big computer guy. And for me, I'm, I'm computer illiterate. I mean, I can get on the web. I can you know, do social media. Obviously, we were, we were doing a Zoom call. But when people, when I first did my first Zoom, you know, uh, I had an uh, assistant and they're like, okay, John, this is what you got to do. You got to hit here. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I, I, I learned, I, you know, I was able to learn it. But the way we are progressing so fast with technology, which has done so many great things, but the scary thing is, is, is the bad things that come out of this. And I think one of the really bad things is, is how people are getting attacked on social media how social media has changed from being this connection to, to just fighting, constantly fighting. I'm seeing friends. I'm seeing people who uh, have uh, friends of mine who have family, uh, family uh, like a buddy I saw of mine, him and his mom were fighting on Facebook. And I'm like, dude, I know that you and your mom are close. I know you guys talk. Like, how are you guys, how did you just, because his, his mom posted something political and he came back and said, yeah, right, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, these people are close. It's like, 
What are you doing? And it's become so quick for people to hurt other people on Facebook or other platforms that I say, when I go on there, I just want to spread positivity because, you know, this is going to go by fast. Life is going to go by very, very fast. And the older you get, the faster it goes. And it, People have told me that in the past. I didn't believe it. My 30s, my 20s. Now at the age of 48, you look at it and you're like, wow. You're like, oh, wow. I'm 48. It's almost 50. I'm like, what, did, what happened? And all I want to see for the rest of my life is people happy. Because it, we all exist, like the Buddhist said, existence is, is suffering. We all suffer. I don't care if you're, you know, multi, if you're a billionaire or if, if you're on the street everyone suffers. And if that's the first thing we can understand, and like I said to you before, you know, 99.9% of the same DNA, everything. If that's the first thing we can understand, how connected we are, how much we have in common and everything break. I don't, I don't believe in evil. I believe that there's only two emotions, fear and love. And when we follow this, we don't do good things. When we follow this, we do good things. That was the thing I was saying about, you know, the, 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 the car, you know, like the, if you hold the, if you held the door for an elderly woman with a walker, an hour later, you're not going to say, why did I do that? But if you get in a road rage thing and you're yelling at somebody, they're yelling at you. And the next thing, you know, an hour later, we're like, well, why did I do that? We never question the good unless we feel hurt by someone. Then we're like, oh, I wish I was never kind to them. Right. Yeah. I, I want to get to the point in life. And I think I'm getting there. But even if somebody says, you know what, John, fuck you. It's okay. It's okay. I don't, I'm not going to hate you because why, what does the hate do? People say, don't let people take up space in your head. I say, take it a step further. Just try to love everyone for being human. And what will happen is if you do that, life will start opening up to you in such ways that you'll never imagine because you'll not, have a perception of someone when you see them. Your first perception will be they're human. Not they're this, not they're that. They're human. So when I take a step back and I say, I don't know how people experience things in life. They experience them different. I knew when I was a small kid, I got beat up and bullied. I knew how it was to be afraid. But as being a big guy, you don't fear that as much. A woman walking down the street might feel a certain way. And, and my, I was telling my friend the other day, I'm like, you know, my brother, I don't know how it is to be a black man. Tell me about it. Have an open communication with me because I can't tell you how to feel because I am not in your shoes. I can't tell a woman how to feel because I am not in her shoes. I cannot tell a senior citizen how to feel because I'm not in their shoes. I cannot tell my parents are immigrants. I don't know how that, that felt to come here to another country because I'm not in their shoes. But I want to learn from people. I want to learn and I want to understand how it is to be in your shoes so that I can have compassion and empathy and understanding instead of letting fear run my mind and shutting it down. My mind is open and it's loving. And it's like, okay, let me start out with we're human. And then our differences are extremely subtle after that. But we've made them into this big separation of things. And I think if you can put yourself in someone else's shoes and, and see what they're going through, you're like, wow. Like I, I, my one friend, my doctor told me, uh, 
he goes, he said something amazing. He goes, you know what, Johnny, sometimes people don't have problems or, or the problems they don't have that other people have, we don't understand and they don't, we don't think of them as problems. And that's true. Like you think about somebody who's handicapped and me and you walking up the two stairs to get into an office or a store is not a problem. Somebody in a wheelchair and they go with their friends and those two steps, that's a difference of them maybe going in or not and changing out their feeling for that day. I would have never thought that. But now I want to think all of that. I want to think of like, how is, how is it to be handicapped? How is it to be this? How is it to be that? So I can be a better person. So when I come across someone and if they're upset or they're hurt, the first thing I'm not going to do, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is not come out defensive now. It's going to come out receptive. I want to hear you. I want to hear you. Because when I was younger, I had a lot of fear and I always wanted to be right. And that's my true belief, that there are only two feelings in life, fear, which comes from the brain, and love, which comes from our inner being. And Eckhart Tolle says some of the greatest scientists in the world, uh, some of the greatest artists, some of the greatest musicians, uh, everybody have come up with the answer or these great uh, scientific discoveries um, or, or paintings or singing when they actually stopped thinking. When they actually stop, like, oh, my God, okay, I got to just stop thinking about what I'm going to write on the phone and just sit. And all of a sudden it comes to you. That's why people talk about meditation being so powerful of just being. I was always told as a young boy, you got to keep yourself busy so you can you know, always stay busy so you're not in, getting into trouble. Stay busy. Keep your mind busy. Keep your mind busy. I just had a discussion with my father. He was 85. And I go, Dad, I go, you know, it, it's not keeping our mind busy that makes us peaceful. It's being able to sit with nothing, nothing, and sit with just yourself and be able to be comfortable with your thoughts. And once you are able to do that, you'll find peace in life. Man, whoever your choice is, if you're Republican, Democrat, I have no problem with that. I'm just, I'm an American and I'm not going to fight about politics. I'm not going to judge you about your politics. I don't want to because I have no right to. I'm just a human being and I'm no better than anyone. And that's again where that free comes in. Free for humanity. Free for the human being to be free of fear, free of, of sadness, free of, just to be free and to be loving and to be caring to one another. Sounds corny. But deep down inside, we all want to be loved. We all want to be, we all want to be accepted. Before, yeah, before you told me that, before you told me that, I, I could sense like what you're going to get at with the free. Like I could, I could, uh, when you said that you're, you get into deep conversations, I picked up on that right away yesterday. And so before you even told me about like the, what the, the meaning was behind why you stretched out free, I felt like there was definitely a deeper meaning beyond that. It wasn't just doing it because you can, you had a reason to. So that made a lot of sense to me. Even before you told me, I was like, I bet you there's like a, there's a story or a deeper meaning behind it. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, I used to be very angry when I was uh, in my twenties and thirties about what happened to me when I was a kid. I had a lot of anger, a lot of anger. Uh, uh, a lot of times I wasn't a happy person to be around. I was, uh, you know, I, I, I just, had a lot of anger and a lot of hurt. 
And I was angry that I was bullied. I was angry that I didn't fight back. I was angry that I was taken advantage of. But I talked to my mother this morning and I said, because she's that my parents celebrated 59 years uh, of marriage anniversary yesterday. So I stopped by their house today. But before that, I was calling her on the way there. And I said, my, I, I, I don't, all I want to see is people happy. I just want to see people happy and I just want to see everybody happy. I know that's a pipe dream. I know that sounds like, you know, a utopia and everything, but but that's what I truly want because I know how it is to suffer. And I'm glad now at the age of 48, because she said, Johnny, why didn't you tell me you were getting picked on and bullied and all this stuff happened? I go, I don't know. This was God, this was 40 years ago, 30 years ago now, whatever. We don't know, you know, whatever. But now looking back, I'm glad I was bullied. I'm glad I suffered because I would never be speaking at schools if I didn't go through it. I would never be understanding people's pain if I didn't go through my own pain. And that's where empathy and compassion can really come out. And again, we sometimes want to be so tough and so everything. It's hard for people to say, I love you. So they say, love you, love you, love you, love that. I go, I love you. Talking to you right now. I love you, my brother. And you might say, this guy loves me. We just started talking. For what is there not to love about you? You're a human being. I want to see you succeed with this podcast. You were kind enough to reach out to me. Why the hell would I not love you? I don't think life means what we think it means. Life to me is supposed to be an experience. And I do believe life is a test. I do believe that test is how kind and how good you can be to people and how you can serve humanity. And that's what the test is all about. It's about love. Life is about love. Because when I did the World Series, there was a maybe 80%, 85% kind, overwhelming, nice, uh, beautiful replies from people, which I appreciate. Now today... I'll, I'll go into that first. Then there was 15%, 10% that hated me holding free, that hated my voice, that made fun of my weight, that was out there. And that stuff stuck with me. And I talked to three celebrities at that time, very famous celebrities, and I said, I don't know if I like this. I mean, I, 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 I was somewhere, and somebody texted me and said, you're an Axis Hollywood. And I'm like, hey, what? And it was just the opening act of Hollywood. They say, yeah, it's John Vincent singing for the Cubs. We love him and blah, blah, blah. I didn't even know it was going to be on there. Then I did like three TV shows, news shows in one day. And everything was hitting me. So I was in the moment with that. But then I was in that moment of reading the comments. And the good comments made me feel good. And those bad ones really, really made me feel bad. The good ones made me feel good. The bad ones made me feel real bad. And I was like, why am I taking this 15% or 10% of the bad ones and making it this much and making all those good ones this much. Well, because of fear. So when I was younger, the person I hated the most was myself because I was bullied because I didn't like myself because I didn't fight back and all that. Now, when I was then in my, my late thirties and forties, I'm like, no, Johnny, you got to love yourself, love yourself. You got to love yourself. Now I'm like, you don't have to hate yourself and you don't have to love yourself. You just have to be yourself. So if you don't hate yourself and you don't love yourself and you just be, now you're just a human being. You're living life. 
You're being present. You're doing what you do. You're just a human being. You're not perfect. You are who you are. Don't take everything so extreme. If it comes, if good thing, and, and I get a lot of beautiful things sent to me on Facebook and every once in a while or on, on Instagram or on Twitter or on uh, what other one I'm on, uh, I'll get so many beautiful responses and I'll get that one, you know, snide remark or whatever. And I swear to you, now, it, maybe when I read it, I get a little bit affected, but I don't. I had a guy say something to me the other day, and I, and I actually typed him back. I go, I love you. I hope you have a good day. I might have did the same thing five years ago, but there was a little bit of, yeah, I'm just going to show him this, like, you know, I love you, whatever. But now when I say it, I actually do. I love you. Okay. An eye for an eye makes us all blind, right? Like, there's no point to, 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 to keep spreading that hate. They see you, like we talked about Michael Jordan, some famous celebrity told me, I don't know who it was, it was somebody in sports. They go, Johnny, do you think Michael Jordan sits behind a screen and talks shit about people? He's like, no, he's out there doing. He's out there becoming successful. I don't know you personally. I feel like I do now. I feel like we're buddies now and everything we're going to be. But I, I, I met you yesterday visually. We talked for, for maybe a couple of weeks prior, whatever it was. And if it was a bad experience, I'm not going to say, man, you know what? I can't stand that guy. I want his show to fail or nothing. I might've said that 10 years ago. If you did something that offended me, I would now would have been like, all right, cool. Chalk it up. See you later. I'm not going to watch that interview. Bye. But when I have these conversations with people where I open up my vulnerability, 99% of the time they open up the same way. And then these conversations are beautiful. And like now, when I see your podcast, when I hear about your podcast, just like other ones I've done in the past, and I hear it becoming bigger and bigger, I'm like, oh, shit, man, good for him, man. I remember when I was on that. I'm so happy that he did that. God, I'm, that, I'm cheering for you. So when you succeed, I succeed. When somebody else succeeds, I succeed. And if we all cheer each other on for things that we are doing that are good and, 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 and making the world a better place, we all win. We all win. I'm glad that you're doing so well, you know, with everything that you've been talking about. Um, just like you said, it's like we've overcome our adversities and you're stronger from it or, you know, you've learned so much through weak or, you know, pain or, you know, a, a vulnerability. So it's definitely a deep, it's definitely a really good uh, life lesson. Like you've had a lot of life lessons that you're sharing. Yeah. I mean, I had so many, I had a really interesting life and I'm lucky the life I've had. And if it ends today, I don't want it to, but I, I, Hey, I, I got really lucky. I got a world series right? for the love of God. Cubs. Uh, I mean, I, I got, to, yeah. I sing on the favorite team I've ever loved in my life. I got to sing at the world series. I do all this stuff. But more importantly, I got to meet people and, and, and people showed me love and compassion from the Cubs organization, from Mr. Ricketts down to people at Ditka's, to people in Green Bay, to people even when I sang for the Bears. I've met people who treated me so kindly and so wonderfully. I can look back and say, wow, how many great experiences I had. Now, don't get me wrong. I still suffer. I still get down. I still become a hypochondriac. I still think like, oh my God, is this cancer? Oh my God, is this that or that or that or worrying about? It, it, it'll consume me. It'll consume me. But the difference now is, is like, you're probably wrong. But if you are right, 
you got to face it. My father had stage four colon cancer. And when I went to Loyola, they said that they never had a more stoic patient that didn't complain anything. And when I went to hug my father when he had cancer and it was stage four and it spread to his lymph node and he's in the garage and I could see his eyes and I'd run to him crying. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And he had a little bit of tears in his eyes, but he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No one worry about me. I go, what do you mean to worry about you, dad? He goes, Johnny, when I had to go to get the scan and everything and get the colonoscopy and then go get treatment and everything, I noticed these kids in there, six, seven years old. And he goes, I'm 67 years old. He goes, those kids is what I felt for. The kids that were suffering cancer at such a young age. He goes, that's what bothered me. That's what hurt me. When I heard those words from him, I go, that's compassion. That's love. That's the stuff that knocks fear out of the water. If you think the future is going to be good or you think the future is going to be bad, both of those are a lie because the future hasn't happened. Possible thing that can come out of it. And the best possible thing that came out of me suffering as a child by being bullied, by being uh, abused and all these things, the best thing that came out of it, it gave me compassion and it gave me the need to go speak to schools and talk to kids in auditoriums about bullying and talk to them about how it doesn't work and how it'll affect you your whole life and stay with you and the regret and the anger. I've had kids who were bullied cry in front of an auditorium of 600 people. And I kids, I had a kid who bullied people cry in an auditorium. Both of them cried in two different schools. One cried because he hated that he was a bully. And the other cried because he hated he was bullied. And what came out of it? That vulnerability, the communication, and saying, hey, this doesn't work. This doesn't work, guys. What really works is kindness. Might sound corny. Might be like, okay, here we go with the kindness. But if you can't be kind, be nothing. It doesn't work. Fear does not work. Another thing I was thinking about was like social media, Twitter. You know, Twitter is this world that we all kind of, or a lot of people kind of, we're on this. We're on this random website. It could be good. It could be bad. I use it, so I'm I'm guilty of it. You know, I go on there. I'm scrolling. All, I'm on there all the time. I'm looking at stuff. Oh, but, me too. But you know, me but too, but I'm using it as you saw. I, I I reached out to you via Twitter. Uh, so I use it as a as a good way to network, which I love. I love the networking aspect. But then there are times where I'm like, why am I still on here? I need to go outside and do something. But also. Twitter is like, what I've realized is Twitter and someone else put it perfectly. He was like, Twitter is like this website that we all go to yell at, you know, it could be good. It could be bad. It could be sport. It's sports stuff. I was thinking about when you said, you know, we can live in the moment and I'm thinking about like, I was thinking about the Cubs, like 2015, the 17 is great. And now we're all like, God, this team right now. And I mean, obviously that fails in a lot of comparison, you know, fails in comparison to major things in the world, but from a sports standpoint, for instance, I'm thinking like perfect analogy of like 15 to 17, enjoy it. You have people who are like, this is the golden era of Cubs baseball. You have other people that are like, this team is going to blow it like they always do, or this is going to be short-lived and they're going to suck again. Well, just enjoy why they're actually good right now. Yeah, in 2018, they were a playoff team. And some people were like, they need to fire this guy. They need to do that. 
other people are like, this team's going, we're talking about a 90 win ball club that we would kill for. So it's like, now I'm guilty of it. I get sick of, Oh, why isn't this team hitting and this and that, but you know, Twitter, Twitter is so good and bad as far as like, whether you waste, whether I spend too much time on it or, or with the podcast, again, it's like, I'm thinking of myself, like I see other people post stuff and they get tons of likes and I'm like, why is mine not getting the same? But then it's like, why am I valuing myself on a platform in real, in my own reality? I like what I'm at, what I'm doing, where I'm at, you know, I don't have to judge my, what I, my worth on a, on a website just because it got fewer likes. So that's what I've learned about myself too. In general, it's like, okay, I like what I've got. People whether or not I hear about it a different way, I find out through other ways. Oh, so-and-so likes this or someone at work says, oh yeah, you've got a podcast. Like they referenced it before I even brought it up. He probably saw me talk about it before, but they remember it. They brought it up. So it's like, okay, in general, I'm leaving a lasting impression, whether it's per episode or just overall, people know what I'm doing over the last year, which is cool. You know, it's a hobby, but it's kind of taken on a life of its own. This conversation is like so awesome because it's it's kind of uh, encompassing a lot of different things I've thought about. Uh, like I like just having the conversation, even if at the end of the day, and this goes back to the root purpose of it again, even if I'm the only person that listens to it, I still got to talk with you. And before this conversation, I knew of you as a person on TV or you know a, a, an accomplished musician or whatever the case may be. And it's like, there's a deeper side of that, obviously. And I'm getting to find that out through our conversation. So again, even if I'm the only person that hears it, I still had a cool time talking with you. And that's the main thing. And that's how I feel the same way with you. And it's funny because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, John, we need to increase your followers. We need to increase this, increase that. I look at a lot of people who have followers and a lot of followers. And I notice sometimes they don't get many responses. And sometimes I don't get many responses, but I notice my smaller following has been getting more and more responsive because during this pandemic, during everything, I, I, I've, I've always talked, if you scroll through my, my, my history on Facebook, on, 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 on Twitter, on, on Instagram, it's positive. I, 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 I push out positivity. There's no, um, complaining, there's no this, it's positive because I don't want to um, be combative. I don't want to get in an argument um, unless something was extremely important to me and I knew there was going to be an outcome that would help, then I would get into one. But most conversations on Twitter are um, not going to, uh, uh, or Twitter or social media, when people are hitting at each other, uh, most of them don't end up well. If it's negative, you know, and you're complaining about something, because there's going to be a half of people that don't agree with it, especially now how we are with politics and everything, and another half to have a whole different thing. So I just go to the thing of what's real. What's real to me, again, is be kind or be nothing. We're all human. If we really understand we all feed off fear, then those other arguments we're having don't make any sense because the, pan, the real pandemic, not, I shouldn't say that, this, the, the second pandemic that's coming and that can be more damaging than coronavirus is the mental health pandemic. And mental health has shot through the roof 
since the start of the virus. And some people say people are having conspiracy theories or this or that or that. And you feel people getting paranoid and thinking things. And I said to somebody, uh, I said to a few people, I go, you know me. You've known me for 10 years. You've known me for five years. I've lived in a pandemic for the past 30 some years. Ever since OCD started with me, I lived in a constant mode of fear with small bits of of peace and happiness uh, scattered through it. But most of it with a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety because of my OCD. So I feel like God put me in this position now to help others, especially with my bullying, my struggling, all that stuff like this in the past, to make now comfortable for others. And that brings me great comfort because now my purpose, I really know in life, is to serve others. If I don't do that, what 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 good is my life? I mean, if if I become if I if I was a hermit and I stayed at home and I didn't bother anybody, that's totally fine. But I want to do more in my life because I know how it feels to hurt. I know how it feels to struggle. And when when you talked about you know saying that and and and, and looking at that. It's more important for you and it's more important for life itself of what life really is, is how many people you're impacting by how many people might just be listening. Because the podcasts you do are going to become more famous and more powerful and they're going to be more um, uh, exposure. And I really do feel in my heart, you're going to make something of this, whatever you want. Uh, I used to chase fame. Now fame is one of the last things I want because it just seems like there's a lot of headaches in it. You see a lot of things. I'm not content with being who I am. I'm very busy singing. The only thing that stopped me is coronavirus. Things are picking up just back as they were before. And that to me is more important than having 100,000 followers. If I have 5,000 followers and I'm busy constantly and people are contacting me, that means what I'm doing is more impactful and is more real. And that's what you're doing. So you're just going to naturally grow more and more and bigger and bigger. And the good thing about it is because you started out this way and because you started out at a perfect age, 32, you'll be prepared when the fame comes your way and the popularity and you'll be grounded. I didn't start getting recognition till I was in my 40s, maybe 30s here and there, with the World Series was the big thing. But before that, I had some, and I was so torn about, why, God, I want to be more famous, I want to be more famous. Now I'm like, it's all good exactly where I'm at because I'm living a peaceful life. I'm able to do what I love, sing for a living. I have a beautiful wife. I have a beautiful family. Uh, I don't have any kids. I could take that as a regret. It's okay. It is what it is. Maybe I would have had a kid. Maybe they would have died tragically. Maybe something would have happened. Maybe who knows? You got to think of that. So I don't have the pain of worrying about a child right now in the world growing up. So again, I'm spinning it on its head. And if I would have a child, I'd be like spinning it. I'm so grateful to have a child. So anything in life, we can take it. Even our most painful times, and bring something positive out of it. And if it's something that happens to us that's terrible, we can. A lot of times we don't. That's why 
bad things keep happening because when people are hurt and they feel violated, they then go on and a lot of them will hurt and violate others. If you can get hurt and violated and say, let me take a step back. Like I, you see these stories about these mothers forgiving, going to prison and forgiving the guys who killed their sons or daughters. It, that to me is the ultimate enlightenment loving act. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know. If somebody hurt somebody I love, I don't know if I could forgive them. I want to. I would hope I could. But that pain and that suffering would be so deep. I don't know where my mind would go with that. And I would just be so distraught. So when I see these stories of, of, of mothers apologize, uh, uh, forgiving people and going to prison, you see them hugging, I'm like, that is really understanding and winning at life. That's successful life. That is not a million followers or a million likes or a million this. That is the real essence of life. Compassion and putting yourself in other people's shoes, forgiveness. It's such an unbelievable tool. And it all comes from love. Yeah. Not not to change the subject so drastically, but I was curious from like when you when you've done the anthems, for instance, you know, at Wrigley, you mentioned the World Series. I was curious. Is it so routine that it's almost like, you know, nothing like this is what you enjoy? Or do you still kind of get a nervous like butterflies oh before God, was, any I event? I my pants that day. I was so freaking nervous. I was so oh, afraid. I I mean, some guy told me right before I walked out, you know, 50 million people are watching you. And I was just, just, just beside myself. Even this past opening day and when I went to go sing uh, for the Cubs in spring training, I was extremely nervous just because of the time in between um, that I did from seeing in front of a large crowd. Now, it wasn't a full capacity stadium. But there was still 8,000 people in there for opening day. There was still probably four or 5,000 for um, um, uh, the spring training game. And the one thing about the anthem is, is if you mess up that song, everybody knows about it. So I was very worried about forgetting the word, messing it up, whatever. And uh, yeah, still got the butterflies, still get nervous. Uh, won't that's, lie about that's that. understandable. And, uh, yeah, that's fair. And I mean, is, is that even if, even if you were doing like a Tuesday afternoon game, would you still feel kind of, or is it kind of a little bit less just because it's just an average day, regular game? Uh, still a little bit, but yes, definitely less. Definitely at different points. Definitely at all that because um, when it comes to a game and you know it's not going to be televised, the anthem, you're like, okay, it's not televised, but you still got. If there's a full stadium, like when you go to Green Bay and there's 80,000 at the anthem every time, um, it's nerve wracking. It's dead silence and there's 80,000 people around it. <laughs> um, when you do it um, and you know it's going to be on TV, that's a little added more pressure. When you do it and it's a playoff game and you know there's more, uh, it's a little more pressure. When you get to the World Series, it's extreme pressure. But all in all, it's. Uh, Nervous butterflies. Like I said, the World Series, I was shitting bricks. Um, but so there, there's your answer. There's your answer. It'll, it, yes, it can. It, there's a little nervousness always, but there, there's degrees of nervousness based on the importance of uh, and how many people are watching in there and 
everything. Definitely understandable. You know, it's just, I get it. Like, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me anyway. But the one thing that kind of changed for me um, that I really had a problem with before was being nervous with either celebrities or people that I thought were quote unquote more important than myself or others, which we do, which we've done because of TV and so now because of social media and we see people and they become celebrities and they've become this or they've become that or if it's because of money. The one thing that changed, it totally changed for me is that, like I said, when you realize that we are all so similar, there's nobody to be, uh, everybody's human. There's nobody that is any more special than anything else. The only thing that makes somebody better than someone else is their acts of kindness. That's it. Nothing else does. The bigger house, the more money, the more fame, the better at sports, the better singing. And I said, like I said, love Michael Jordan. I was like, oh, my God, Michael Jordan. But if I saw Michael Jordan, I'd be like, hey, Michael Jordan, how you doing? Um, when I was a kid, I'd be like, oh, my God, Michael Jordan. And that came through years of meeting so many celebrities at Dickers. Because when I first met celebrities at Dickers, I was very nervous. I was very awestruck. Now I don't get awestruck by anyone unless they do something extraordinary, which again, to me, something extraordinary is an amazing act of kindness and it's something that betters the world. That impresses me, stuff like that, but it doesn't make me um, intimidated to meet someone. It makes me excited to meet that person and be like, wow, thank you for your contribution of being amazing. Uh, in whatever field it is, if it's in medicine or if it's just somebody who's kind or generous or loving or takes a moment to, to, to say somebody um, or to just that's what impresses me now. So it's not the feeling of nervousness of, of, of seeing people or being in front of people. It's the feeling of we're all human. I'm connected. Let's make this in the moment a happy, good time. And you wow me by, like, you're wowing me. You're wowing me by the way you handle yourself, the way you talk, the way you are open, the way you are ahead of the game at the age of 32. And that impresses me more now than somebody who is a gigantic celebrity or this or this, because I'm not impressed by anything except extraordinary people. Extraordinary people are the ones who are bettering this world that impresses me I'm, and, and and if you want me then to go in a, in a ego way i'm impressed by the way you handle the podcast because you're able to talk you're able to have an easy conversation you're able to bring out the right questions i was telling you about howard stern how good he has, is as it and i see the the confidence in you and the way you do that but the most important thing is the substance and when you talk their substance and they're, they're, I hate fakeness. I love being real. I'm uncomfortably real. And sometimes it's too much for people. And I understand that. I could be a pain in the ass, talk my ear off about seriousness all the time. People are like, Johnny, dude, I just want to like not think about serious shit. And you're just like talking about serious shit all the time. That's the way I am. And I need to shut up more to not be so, um, um, you know, but I do not like talking about the weather unless there's a hurricane coming or a tornado, then we can talk about the weather. But if it's like, 
hey, it's a nice day outside. Yeah, great day. Yeah, beautiful weather. See you later. Have a good day. No, I want to be like, hey, how are you doing? Not, it's a nice day outside. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Good. What's going on with you? Good. How's everything else going? But if I see something wrong, I want to be like, seriously. And I might push it sometimes. I'm like, what's bothering you? And most of the people come out and be like, well, you know, this is what's going on. And I want to hear it. And if I can help them and talk them through it, great. If they don't want to talk about it, then I still want to give them some kind of positive energy because I just don't like the fakeness of life of just going through the motions. And I think the weather, that statement of, you know, nice day out or oh, beautiful weather. We talk about the weather because it's safe and it's surfacey. We don't want to get too deep. I like getting deep because I feel like when we get deep and when we get to the root of what we really are, then our other problems are going to dissolve because we're going to go back to what we know is important. Fear, love, take the fear out, take the fear. You know, I, like you, you've mentioned the, like I know you had the anti-bullying campaign. Uh, as you saw, my Twitter friend mentioned the Special Olympics. You work, you work uh, as a global ambassador, right, for the Special Olympics yes. of Illinois? Got lucky enough for that. They had me do that. Um, you know, Special Olympics more and more have asked me to do things. And and and, and yeah. you want to talk about yeah. real um, Special Olympians, people who are, 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 are mentally challenged. Um, I really, really am drawn to them because if you talk to them and if you notice, they are so real they just say what is on their mind at that moment i think that they are smarter than us because of how real they are i have a friend of mine who used to be a uh sous chef or a line chef at ditka's he's a special olympian athlete he's 43 his name is kirk um kirk nelson um and when he calls me up and uh, jokes with me and thinks he says to me and teases me, it's so funny and it's so awesome because he's so real and he does it with love and kindness and he just talks and he's just, there's no bullshit. There's, I just don't like talking about bullshit. I want to talk if I'm talking to you. You know, uh, it, it Again, sometimes for people it's too much, but I really do want to talk. I was never a guy when I went out to go out to clubs and go out to, I was a guy who'd like to sit with my friends and go to a place where we can talk and just sit and talk, you know, instead of having music blasting and, and, and not having conversations. Just what am I doing there? Once in a while I did that with my friends, but I still, even in my twenties, I wanted to sit and I was more of a talker and, and, and conversationalist than, uh, than not and again some people really like it and, and some people even though they like it my family included say johnny slow down a little bit it's too much <laughs> like it's too much just to stop <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned joe madden earlier uh I, I i i could see like you guys would probably have a lot of deep conversations right yeah when i went with him uh uh, and I stayed in his house in, in Tampa one year, stayed there. We had an amazing conversation the night of the party and uh, the day after in his backyard where I would do his charity events in Hazleton. 
We've had amazing conversations driving around in his car, going to his cousin's diner. Um, and he was the one who really taught me a lot about uh, meditation, being present. Um, you know, I think he was friends with Wayne Dyer and read a lot of his books, stuff like that. And uh, so the stuff he taught me was a lot of the stuff I was interested in. And it just even clarified it more. Like he would talk to Rizzo uh, if he was in a slump or somebody was in a slump or whatever. He would talk about, hey, what restaurant did you go to last night? Instead of talking about his while he's at bat, while he's getting ready, you know, going out to the dugout to make him comfortable, to make him just be in the moment instead of putting all the pressure on him. And it worked. And going back to what we were saying about the Cubs, you know, I know the pain of the Cubs for so many years. If somebody would have told me back in 1986, when I was sitting, I was at 86 Cubs, 84, when I was sitting on a park in Wentworth Park on the south side of Chicago crying because we were up two games to none against the Padres. And I'm like, this is over. We're going to go and, 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 and we're going to win this. Then they take the next three games. And uh, I couldn't believe we lost. If somebody there would have said to me, John, you're going to have four years where the Cubs win a World Series, get to the, the NLCS every time in, in, that, in that span, um, win 90 games multiple times, 100 games, and, and, and you're going to get a championship ring and you're going to sing? Take out the championship ring and the singing part. If I would have just heard that first part, at that moment, at the age of whatever I was back then, I would have been like, oh, my God, I'll take that in a heartbeat. <laughs> like, we're going to win a World Series. And now to hear people complain about, oh, my God, this team. And guys, we won a World Series. And enjoyed that moment, and we got that World Series. People forget. And then all of a sudden, it goes to, you know, what did you do for me lately? And it's like, oh, we stink, and we're this. Come on, man. Come on. Be so grateful about how great this team was and how great this team. I still think this team could be very good this year. I'm seeing a lot of good things in there and a lot seeing a lot of guys that impress me. And, you know, it doesn't mean we're going to be bad again or anything. We could be great again. But more importantly, we won that World Series. The Ricketts family and, 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 and Joe Madden and Craig Kenny and Theo Epstein brought a world championship to Chicago that we've never seen in any of our lifetimes. How awesome you, uh, is it, that? It is, it is awesome. I, do you, do you, if you're not singing or performing, you know, if you're not doing the anthem for a game, do you go to a lot of games as a fan or do you watch more on TV or are you just kind of busy doing your... When I was, when, before COVID, you could see me at Wrigley almost all the time because I live by there. So I would just get, go. I'm going to go to the game today. I'm going to go hang out and just watch the game and sit there and watch the game and just kick back. Now with COVID, it's kind of changed a little bit. So, you know, I watch it on TV, March, watch it on Marquee and, uh, you know, follow it that way. I've been to opening day, obviously, when I sang, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll go to a few games this year. But with COVID, it's changed. You know, they've been playing my anthems on the, you know, the big screen. I hope that changes and I get to sing in the park again this year because that's always fun. 
But hey, we've had a little bit of a, 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 a glitch in our lives for this yeah. past year, yeah. year and a half, too. We're going to get back to normal. It's going to all be okay. We're going to get back to things. Things are starting to turn around already. You see it. There's a lot of positivity in the air. And uh, just take it right where we're at right now. Pre-COVID, what was your schedule like? How often were you traveling or performing or doing all that you do? <laughs> Probably singing about four or five times a week, traveling uh, two, three times a month across the country, a couple radio things here, TV things here. And that still happened during COVID because I was singing outside senior centers and stuff uh, with Chicago police asked me to do that when COVID first happened because these seniors were stuck in there and they were really depressed. So we were singing out of the street and that was a lot of attention from news outlets and things like that. And uh, so I was still um, lucky enough to, to have, you know, events and things I was doing, if it was virtual, even seeing virtually or, or going places, but it did change drastically because before it was more of a constant, constant weekly, at least weekly doing two, three shows, at least three. Um, then uh, putting on private events or traveling at other events then that's another one or two. So then most of the time I was singing four or five times a week and I was traveling twice a month out of Chicago to sing. So yeah, that's changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, like you said, I think we're getting back to normal and, you know, hopefully you'll be able to resume a lot of this, you know, your, your routine, your career, uh, getting back to regularly a little bit more often. It'll happen. And when you come out here, man, we'll go to a game. I'll take you to a game. And, uh, I just seriously, I, I, I really enjoy it. I'm so happy that you reached out to me. I'm honored to be on the show. So thankful. You're, you know, I, I told you, man, you're, you're, you're going to do as much as you want to do with this show. You're going to do it because I see you have it in you. I see you have all the talent for it. I see the personality and the person you are. It comes through the screen. That's not thing. Uh, a lot of things a lot of people have. It's a very special thing that you have, and you're very engaging, and it's very easy to talk to you. So um, when you get big, don't forget about me. <laughs> and then uh, also when you come to Chicago, though, I'll take you to the game. I do. I, well, first off, I really appreciate what you just said. I mean – I, uh, that, that means a lot to me. And, you know, I mean, it's funny because like, I'm glad that I'm coming off. Like you just said, like, I want to be easy to talk to and, uh, everything that you just said, on the other hand, it's like, I'm just, like you said, but like we've been talking about this whole time, I'm just being me. I haven't done anything. Like I had no formal training before doing this podcast. Like I'm just being natural. That's all you got to do. At the end of the day, the most successful people are always being themselves. And I'm talking about true success, not just success with money or fame, but success balanced with peace and balanced with understanding the meaning of life. You have that. And that's what yeah, true really success comes that. from. If it was playing football in Germany, singing, working in a casino, because I wanted to see how that was, I, I did that, you know, it was always something I wanted to feel like I liked doing. And, and if you can work at what you like doing yeah, uh, or love to do, that's, that's a really that's huge true. thing. Yeah. It's been, it's been awesome to, uh, to chat with you. You gave me way more than I could have even 
even hoped for. So yeah. And you know, everybody's been telling me I, I do need to get back to Chicago. I've been there twice. I need to get back there. I have to see a lot of people I've <laughs> gotten to interact with over this podcast. We got our, we got each other's numbers. When you come to Chicago, yep. we're going to keep in contact before that reach out to me anytime, but we'll go to a game and uh, I'll show you around the city. It's a great city. It's my hometown. I love it. And uh, yeah, we'll have to do that brother. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so down for that. But yeah, I like you. Like I said earlier, I feel like I've met a fr- I've made a friend through this podcast. So same here. Thank you, my brother. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've learned. I've learned a lot. So reach out to me anytime, uh, and uh, keep doing what you're doing because you're killing it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that uh, we got to do this.